is the Stagger Podcast. Welcome into the Stagger Podcast. What is up? I am JD Smith. And I am Derek Smith drinking a monster energy because it is the Rolex 24 week. You gotta you gotta you gotta caffeinate. You gotta already start. It's like with hydrating, except you're caffeinating. Yeah. You're you're trying yeah, to mean, get the caffeine early and often, so your body is like, I don't need any more than two hours of sleep. Let's just right. stay up all weekend. This is awesome. We'll watch racing for 24 straight hours. It's fantastic. Yeah, minimum uh, two energy drinks every day this week uh, to in preparation, and then I will probably crash on Saturday night and wake up at 8 a.m. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> no. So this I'm, I'm going to be on be... TikTok. I'm going to be on Instagram. You're going to be on the Twitter box, the Twitter yeah. box, I bet. Yeah. Uh, we're And Facebook will be on Stagger Nation. Like, we're going to have some fun. This is going to be like, just check in. You're not going to watch all 24-hour race. The only people that do that are maybe like Mike Shank and a few other crew chiefs. That, oh, like, are you kidding? There's there's hundreds of people that watch the whole race. They're <laughs> all at the track. They're all at the track. None of those I, guys Oh, I know. I'm just saying, like, I, I famously heard, I think, either it was Shank or another car owner that didn't even go to the bathroom for 24 hours. They oh, stood gosh. on the pit box or they never left their pit square for 24 hours oh. and didn't really eat or drink anything. So they wouldn't miss anything. Yeah, that is not recommended. Definitely, not definitely recommended go to the bathroom at all. And, and here's Probably. all right. So here's what we're going to get into today. We are going to I want to kind of give the, the precedent for what we're going to talk about, because I do think there are people who are tuning in going, all right, Rolex 24. Let me understand it. We are making this episode in this podcast for people who are NASCAR fans, IndyCar fans, uh, dirt track fans, if you're if you're listening for that. It's a very different discipline than dirt track, but maybe you're like, I just want to watch some racing. Uh, F1 fans who are aware that this exists, and you may have like flipped over for an hour or so at some point, but you now want to know, all right, I'm hungry to watch racing, and I want to watch the Rolex 24 and have at least somewhat of an informed idea of what I'm watching. That's who this is for. If you are someone who watches the Rolex 24 every year, if you are someone who has like favorite drivers and you know about all the off-season moves and different places some of those drivers have gone, this may be a little... You may look at a lot of this information in this podcast and say, I already know a lot of this. So we're I'm not trying to say we're dumbing it down necessarily, but we're just trying to give people who maybe don't always know what they're watching when they flip on the Rolex 24, we're trying to give you like a primer to help you get an idea of what you're looking at. What are some of the storylines to watch? Why are there different cars? Like, what do these cars do that is so different? Why do some of them look very similar, but they're running very different lap times? We will get into all of that in this preview, and we hope that it will be informative. Um, so that's that's the goal. I wanted to set that up at the beginning so people aren't like, well, wait a second. Why are you guys like not telling me about this very in-depth thing? Well, that's not where we're headed with this. We're trying to help people who don't watch a ton of this and don't watch a ton of IMSA to get into the sport a little bit. Does that sound fair to you, Derek? Yeah, that's pretty fair. And I mean, there's a lot of people coming over, not just the uh, Kevin Magnuson fan club that I'm a part of on Facebook <laughs> with us, 27,000 followers, mm. just saying, or members. But yeah. there are plenty of people coming over to watch this because it has been a crazy, exhausting, tired, for us that live in the North, a cold winter and for us to see any sort of activity on the track, Chili Bowl is great, 
Um, it's fun. It's fantastic. It's like three, it's like three hours. You know, if you don't if you don't get the big actually package, right, for, the time they took to prep well, the track was yeah. twenty four full hours. I believe they prepped it for a whole twenty four hours and then they ran the A main. But yeah, I know. What you, yes, I you're right. It felt like one. twenty. It felt like twenty four hours at some point. Yeah. Um, oh so my gosh. This let's we're gonna here's how this episode will go. We're gonna preview each of the classes so you can understand what these cars are, and then we'll get into like where certain cars qualified and maybe where some of your favorite drivers are if you're a nascar fan or an indycar fan uh we'll we'll talk about that a little bit and then give you a little bit of a history of the race as well just some interesting little factoids and figures about that so uh yeah you want to get into it derek you ready to go yeah man let's get into it um one last thing before we start i will ask you mentioned earlier twitter and instagram um what what i would like to ask everybody to do if you're a follower on twitter or instagram for us like number one, maybe this week, if like this episode, if you enjoy it, maybe retweet the tweet that we send out or the if you see the Instagram post, just like it, you know, for some of the stuff for this episode, just to help people find out about this. The other thing you could do to help get the podcast known a little bit more, if you're so inclined, is to go to uh, our our Apple podcasts, our, our, you know, page there where all of our podcasts are posted. If you go on to the Apple podcast app and rate us and review us hopefully five stars hopefully with a nice compliment like that's going to help people find this podcast and this week especially we hope this podcast will be found and next week you know as we're getting into the racing season this would be a great time for people to maybe find our podcast so if you like what you've listened to over the winter and you've enjoyed hearing from us maybe you could do that do us a solid get us our rating up a little bit and Hopefully some more people can find the podcast. That's what we're hoping to do. Yeah. We're here for we're here for racing fans of all stripes. We're, you know, trying to build the brand, build the build the podcast, get some people in. So uh yeah, getting for sure. the the big stagger nation to get even even bigger. Right? Yes, that's, that's right. Well, because we um, want to have massive tailgates when we eventually can go back to racetracks. Yeah. So we and, can't I do mean, that if we don't have to be honest. Go to the you don't, yeah, you don't want to see us have to, you know, start up an OnlyFans to keep this thing running. So I mean we have to <laughs> I have like, some sort of I like how you said that as if I don't already have an OnlyFans. Hey, you would not I mean, believe what people pay for used socks, my friend. It is uh, <laughs> it's quite a thing. It's quite a thing. All right, here we go. Rolex oh. 24 preview. First off, let's how talk about... How am I about, supposed to talk about the DPI class you when talk you're about talking it. about you're it? Yeah. You'll be fine. Let's just We just pretend like it didn't happen. We move right, right along. You got to keep, gotta keep focused on. on the road ahead. You can't think about the last turn where you may have made a mistake or you got off track. You got to... Yep. plow forward got to keep digging right yeah um so the rolex 24 obviously will happen this saturday uh at the daytona international speedway they will run instead of the normal you know circuit you see if you watch nascar they run the entire road course including on and off the you know nascar track that is 3.56 miles of glorious tarmac stretching out in ribbons before you one thing you will hear in like the broadcast that may throw you for a loop is sometimes they will talk to a driver or they'll talk to, you know, one of the, the owners of one of these cars or just on the broadcast itself, they'll say something like, Oh yeah. You know, he really had trouble getting into NASCAR three or, you know, off of NASCAR two, it was a very good battle there. All that's referring to is like the main corners that you're aware of, of turn one and turn two, turn three and turn four. They're obviously not called turn one and turn two, in the regular race because they're 
I'd have to think where NASCAR like two probably is turn like eight, nine, yeah, something and then like that. Bus stop is 10, 11, 12, right? Something. something like yeah. That. I forget. So the point being when you hear NASCAR two, NASCAR three, that's just saying like where on the back stretch, instead of just going full speed the entire time, they throw in the bus stop chicane where what, you have to, you have to slow down and, and get into that. So I'll, go yeah, ahead. Well, I was going to say, why don't we go ahead and just, we're at the starting line. We are taking our uh, time in a, in a nice rental car, the pace car. And, and I'll just go through and, and talk through a lap. So close your eyes and visualize this. You're going in at a, a you know at a high speed coming off a of NASCAR four, which is basically you've been accelerating all the way from the backstretch. You're going to go down, take that left-hand turn right into the infield, off the banking, onto a flat surface. Right at a basically of, the end of pit road. Like where, pit, where cars yeah, would come pit off pit road, that's where you're turning into the infield. Yeah, right. That's a big, a hard left-hander. Left, and then a right turn. It's a sweeping left-hander that goes into a little small S. You speed up, and there's go past this little small uh, kink that, that's on the left-hand side that goes and straightens out to what's called the International Horseshoe. Uh, uh, turn where basically it's shaped like a horseshoe and there's usually flags of all the drivers that are on the outside of that turn on flagpoles. So it's kind of cool to see. Uh, it's a great place for action, a lot of passing. So you come off yeah, that turn, you speed zone. up, you speed up into a very high speed kink turn. It's a left-hander and you can get squirrely. You can get run off there, but you dive in and there's this really off. It's almost off camera right-hand turn. Mm-hmm. As you start to ec- get to the exit of the infield you shoot off there, and there's a hard left-hander up onto the banking that basically puts you about, I don't know, maybe a quarter mile from where you dove into the infield if yeah. you walked it. Yeah. it. You shoot back up on the high high bank. So you go through NASCAR 1, NASCAR 2, and this is probably the most exciting turn in the entire circuit is what's called the bus stop. You, you're breaking. I mean, you're, you're going Well, this is after NASCAR 2. You're coming down the backstretch. Backstretch, yeah. And they're and accelerating. Yeah. stretch, and you're, all in the, you're in the highest gear you have. And you have to, I mean, watch the end cars. You do, 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 do. Yeah, Those they, drop they five, have six to go gears. through it quick. Hard left-hander, try to hit the curbing. Hard right-hander on the curbing. And then another, more of another right-hander to get off and left to get back on the yeah, it's a, it's uh, a four, NASCAR 3, it's, the high It's banks. like a four-point chicane where you left, right, right, left. Like yep. that's, and then that on all those you're clipping the curbing and on all those that is that spot is if you ever want to see the differences in these classes we're going to talk about when you're watching this race and you see them on the backstretch just watch like a dpi car and a gtd car like the the fastest and the slowest of the two classes like or of the five classes if two of those are on the track at the same time, just watch a DPI car coming off of NASCAR 2, going down the backstretch, hitting that bus stop, and see how different it looks for them compared to like a GTD car. The ground they cover there is insane. The The turn obviously allows for, you know, the car with later braking, better aero. That, turn, that car is going to be able to get through the bus stop much quicker. And so that's where you see the DPI and the LMP2s. They're going to do a lot better in that corner than say the the touring cars the the GTLMs and GTDs so right that's where a lot of uh, mishaps can occur too because you have someone in a DPI car that thinks I can get around this GTLM car but the GTLM car is fighting for position the DPI car knows it's faster that's where guys have to and gals have to make that calculation in a split second can I get around this person and get through the bus stop before them or do I have to sit behind them lose yes. time to my competitors. And so it's a it's a chess match every time. High banks 
Yeah, uh, and, and they'll three, easily four. pass yeah. them in the next turn, but you might have lost a second or two staying behind yep. that person. If you do that every lap, you're going to be out. You know, it's going to be very difficult to catch up in this yeah. race. So, be, yeah, because you're going through the gears from the exit of the bus stop and you're going back up to top speed all the way down into the first turn of the infield again. Yeah, so that then complete your yeah. lap. And, and at the bus stop, you're going to hear a word from Calvin Fish, one of the uh, announcers, Dodgy, is going to say a lot of Australian <laughs> names for, oops, that's a tight. Uh, pickle that they got themselves into right there and he'll just make up words on the spot it's a lot of fun to listen to um, he's a former racer so he, he puts his expertise in there with his australian uh calvin fishisms and it's it's a it's a joy to hear um but one thing i want to i think you brought this up but if not i'll reiterate it after about hour one or two or if you're elio castroneva is like the first few laps last year someone goes off and cuts that inside of the turn mm -hmm. and brings a whole bunch of dirt and sand, yeah. which is Florida's got the sand soil right across the track. And they'll try to clean that up and the racing group will clean up, but it's kind of, I mean, it's little tiny rocks essentially. And when you're yeah. going that fast, it's almost like, um, you know, like a freezing drizzle on a sidewalk. You don't really see it. You know, it's there if you walk at a normal pace, but the moment you try to stop mm. or in this yeah. space, you know, run real fast, you're going to slip. So, you're going to see a lot of junk just outside the racing group there. So in the first few hours, you're going to see people, and you saw it in the uh, qualifying race in the Moto 100 over the weekend, a lot of people going too wide in there because they have the grip. Once that grip goes away, you're pretty much going to be single file in there, yeah. or you're going to be gutsy trying to get a position in that spot. Well, and that's where the, most of the, that's where the, back stretch, the back stretch becomes key yeah. then later in the race because then nobody wants to go side by side through there. And it's a very risky proposition, so that's why you have to get all you can on the backstretch, get yes. through there if you're behind a slower class of car, and try yeah. to beat that car to the corner so then you can get off your corner the right way, they can get off their corner the right way, and nobody really gets slowed down. Yeah. But and, and to nerd <laughs> out real quick, too, in the middle of the night, there usually is a brake change. They actually change the front brakes for mm -hmm. these cars. It's a five-minute process. They have the assemblies already made, and they just slap a, a, the old assembly off with the new assembly on. So say if you're timed where... In the middle of the night, you've got fresh brakes, or you're on your last leg of your brakes, and there's a guy coming in. You're going to lose a few spots because they're going to dive in because they've got the deeper braking. Or if you have those brakes, maybe you let some pe these people go by because at the end of the race, you want to have more brakes than the other guy in front of you. Yeah. If you know your car's there, you know the engine's there, you know you're going to be in that top three mix at the end of the race within a few seconds of each other, you're going to save your equipment. Mm -hmm. So it, yeah. this is what makes it. And then you add in all the different manufacturers and all the lap oh. traffic. This is what I mean. It's it's almost like I'm putting out a a huge spread of food in front of you if you're a <laughs> racing fan and you're just about to look at and it's like that like when you're two people away in the buffet you're just like your mouth's watering yeah that's what like you're about to pick out you're making your strategy right so like I'm gonna be watching uh, the battles like can Ferrari actually get up there and mix it up with the Porsches and the Audis and uh, you know the Maz like I'm just I'm excited to watch all this can Mazda well, continue its its streak of, of getting good finishes in the dpi class will accurate come back in the fold and get the win i mean i'm just well we'll talk i'm, let's, I'm ecstatic let's, i know yeah, i know let's get I just, into all this that is, because this is my favorite ooh. race of the year if you haven't noticed and yeah I'm super, super this this it. is a it's a fantastic uh you know what, what's the phrase we've heard before an orgy of speed that's that's yes. more or less what you've got here everybody's getting in the mix and a lot's going on you know, everywhere you look, there's action, and shall we say. You have my favorite driver this side of Bubba Wallace entered into the race, Kevin Magnuson. <laughs> all right. And all right, hang on, he hang turned on. the second fastest lap yesterday, even though he finished last in yeah. his class. But 
that is just a qualifying okay. race. He's, he's saving right. his equipment. We'll talk about that. We'll get into all that here in a second. Um, so yes, I feel like the, I'm just a 13 year old who just discovered that women are attractive. <laughs> Like, that's what I feel like right now. It's been a long winter. I guess so. I guess it has been. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So before we get into that, I want to talk about like how you can actually watch this race, because that's something to keep in mind, too. It's 24 hours of racing. Sadly, not all 24 hours are just on like NBC. Um, So that is a little, you know, you just have to know how to watch all of this. So um, at the Rolex 24 this year, there will be 50 cars on the entry list across five classes. That is up from a record low 38 cars in 2020. So we'll talk about what those cars look like in a second. But if you want to watch this race, broadcast coverage of the event will start at 3.30 this Saturday on Big Boy NBC. It will then, so the first, you know, I think 3.30 is when they start the coverage. They'll get you set up. I think 4 o'clock, if I'm not, if I remember correctly, 4 o'clock is when they will drop the green flag. And then that will be on for about a half hour on NBC then it will move to NBC Sports from 4.30 to 8 p.m. Uh, it will, at 8 p.m., go to the NBC Sports app from 8 to 11, which is weird to me because 8 to 11 is prime time. You would think that's when you'd want to yeah. have this race on, but they don't. Uh, eight, maybe they have a hockey game on. I don't know. Anyway, 8 to 11 Probably. p.m., <laughs> that's when that will go to the NBC Sports app, which you have to get track pass to watch that. I think it's like $5 for a month. So if you want to watch this race, pay five bucks and you can literally not miss yeah. a second of it. NBC Sports app, you go there, then it'll be back on NBCSN from 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. So you can literally stay up till 3 a.m. watching it, you know, maybe take a nap between 8 and 11, maybe throw yeah. it on the app, whatever you want to do. 11 to 3 a.m., you can get back on NBC Sports if that's all you have and watch it there. 3 to 6 a.m., another prime napping opportunity <laughs> if you'd like to, because that'll be, uh, you know, just... It'll be, you know, dead of night, uh, three hours on the, on the app again, 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. So you can get up bright and early, 6 a.m. Sunday morning. Dark and early, dark and early. Dark and early, yeah. You can yeah. watch on NBC Sports Network that time all the way up till 2 p.m. Then from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock, it goes on NBC for the conclusion of the race. So you can literally watch this thing Sunday morning from 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. on NBC Sports and NBC. That, if nothing else, if you're trying to figure out like how much can you watch, maybe you flip on for the beginning, maybe you catch some in the overnight segment, but man, really, I would tell you, get up by 6 a.m. and just plant yourself in front of the TV all day or, or keep it on as you're doing things because there's tons of action you'll see. And I, I recommend, and I'm sure you would too, Derek, get up at 6 and be ready for about, what, 7, 7.30, whenever the sun's going to come up there yeah. in Daytona. It might be around 7. I'm not sure what time it comes up mm-hmm. there, but like... Just the sunrise and going from night to day at the racetrack where they've been running all night, that is one of the most beautiful moments. Obviously, watch at night, too, because they have a ton of like light shows and fireworks and all kinds of stuff yeah. to commemorate. I wonder if they'll have the Ferris wheel this year with the uh, social distancing. Probably I, don't know, I would hope they'd have it. So at I, least I hope they have it at least I would think you could get on the Ferris wheel and be social distanced. I mean, <laughs> as long as true. you're yeah, on there, true. you know, with like someone yeah. else that's also yeah. like part of your group or whatever. But well. Yeah, I, I will so, say so that's how you watch this race. Yeah, and uh, then we can talk about some of the classes. What were you going to say? Well, I, I was just going to say that that, and I mean, I'm romanticizing this. I get it, but seeing the sunrise at the Rolex 24, there are a few. Like, I won't. Like, I got my son's birthday come up this week. I'm not missing that. Taking blocking the day off for work so I can be with him for that. Uh, same with my daughter, my wife. I will never, if I can have it, I will never miss 
the Rolex 24 Sunrise. My son was born on the 26th of January. And one of these years, it was during the Rolex mm. race because of the yeah. way the calendar fell. So we were in the hospital watching the Rolex. And even through the newborn phase of like up all night and feedings every two hours, I was like, all right, buddy, we're going to watch the Rolex. And yeah, like we yeah. watched the Rolex like at sunrise because it's a big deal to me. So it to me, it's a it's a it's a literal sign of a turning of a page from the darkness of winter to the I mean, after that sunrise that happens in Daytona, I know this year, notwithstanding because of COVID, that is the sign of, an, you know, before that happens again, before winter comes, before the coldness comes again, there'll be a racetrack. There'll be like, we'll be at a racetrack. We'll be watching local stuff. We'll be watching all the series on TV. And to me, it's like, it's one of the most beautiful things. Even if it's a dark, cold, rainy Daytona sunrise, which rarely happens, but usually the sun peaks above the Atlantic. They do some great shots from the tower that zoom out and then right back to the track. It's yeah. just a beautiful aesthetic. And I mean, if for American auto racing, short of maybe the, the the gasoline alley shots of drivers walking out or the stuff, the shots of the pagoda, at, you know, at sunset for, you know, if you ever find yourself at a, at an Indy car day and you're leaving the tra- or Indy car, you know, week leading up to the Indy 500 and you're at the IMS and you're about ready to leave at sundown, you got to drive ahead of you to go home or back to the hotel. And you look and you just see the sun setting at the pagoda. It's a beautiful thing. Like, yeah, there's certain is. things in American auto sport that you that are just aesthetics that I always love and cherish and will forever move everything off my schedule to do that. And that's usually mm-hmm. to go to Indy once once a year during the, the the test days prior to or the practice sessions prior to the 500. Um, just for those like kind of moments where you get to sit in an empty grandstand and you know see the shadows form over the speedway. That's fun. Then also to the Rolex 24. Uh, watching the sunrise there and watching yeah. the night racing. I agree. Uh, seeing the sun go down is beautiful, man. It's it, anytime. Well, okay, this is why any, we recommend anytime, watch yeah. as much of it as you can this week. Cause there's yeah. so many good scenes to see there, but yeah, like you mentioned it, man, the, all the, the, the lights show around the D- Daytona international speedway during the Rolex week. Obviously the start of the Daytona 500 is another one of those iconic yeah. moments. Start of the Indy 500, you know I mean? Like there's just some things that you get to see in American auto sports that, uh, yeah, they're iconic, and this certainly is yeah. one of them. Um, well, I will I will say this that they, whenever they switch off, I think you said eight p.m. from NBC yeah. Sports to another uh, platform. Whenever they switch platforms at night, that's when they do the fireworks show, and they have like a nice. They do like a recap. Oh, from the so start like of the race. right at the end of eight o'clock. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So right at the yeah, so like seven thirty, seven forty-five. Drop what you're doing. Turn on the TV, even if it's for 15, 20 minutes. Um, just because you, or at least you know, watch it on your DVR. Or, your phone whatever because it's really cool to see that because they recap the first seven hours yes uh, right there um and they're six hours whatever and then same thing when you wake up get up at 5 55 make sure you're like you're ready you got your coffee going and six o'clock comes they're going to recap everything at night so it catches Mm -hmm. you right up to speed so if you're not a crazy nerd fan like we are and and up at three in the morning or it's a good uh, yeah 6 a.m will great get you caught up and then you've got plenty of like you will feel the endurance, the endurance race. Like this is yeah. endurance watching, which is you will feel it. If you get up at six o'clock and watch it all the way till four or have it on all oh. day, like you'll get just a brief appreciation because that is approximately 10 hours. Yeah. 10 yeah. hours or so. Of oh, watching. I got smart. And that's I not even Monday off. That's not I, even I, half. That's not even yeah. half of the actual race. So just know, like if you watch just the network coverage all the time yeah. that you can get it on NBC Sports and NBC, you'll 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 have accomplished something pretty big for sure. Um, all right, let's get into these classes real quick and, and let everybody know what we're looking at. So again, if you're not familiar, the fastest cars on the track are what they call the DPIs, the Daytona prototype cars. 
um, in road racing, in uh, if you go across, you know, whether you go to Europe, whether you go here in the U.S., go around the world, prototype cars are the fastest cars. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention before we get into this, but just it's a good point to mention it here. If you have watched that Ford versus Ferrari movie, that is obviously about Le Mans. That is about the biggest endurance race in the world. 24 Hours of Le Mans is the best and biggest race. 24 Hours of Daytona is second to that, but only that maybe. As far as international prestige, winning that race, and then the winning Le Mans, that's about the only two that you can go as far as international prestige. But in that race where you watch Ken Miles and Carroll Shelby, in fact, in that race, you can see they do that brake change that's actually pioneered by Ford and by Carroll Shelby. That was done to help them win that Le Mans race. And like you said, Derek, when they change brakes now, they still do that. That's something that Carroll Shelby came up with in the 60s. So, I mean, just, you know, think of the Isn't innovation that that's going on. I mean, like, it's nuts, you look at right? The innovation, you look at the innovation, like you said, they did that at Le Mans. And you look at the Wood Brothers. And they're the ones that 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 created the choreographed pit stop in NASCAR. Yeah, yeah. back in the '60s or '70s, and we're still doing it and, to some. We're still to doing some it, level, and, we're, yeah. and we're it's evolved. And, and then you took, <laughs> you look at Formula One. They have like there's like evolution of NASCAR pit stops at 11 yeah, yeah. seconds. And you're like, wow. They see the evolution stop of Formula One pit stops like at two seconds, and that's a little yeah. slow. It's like, crazy. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but uh, the DPI cars, the prototype cars, you'll see them now, and they look like spaceships. But back in the day, that that car that they were driving in, you know, Ford versus Ferrari, those those vehicles that that is about, those were the prototypes of their day. So just not that I think we're going to be driving anything that looks like what <laughs> these cars look like now anytime soon. But if you see how technologically advanced they are, that's what those cars were back in the day. Those were the prototype class. Um, yeah. So the fastest and cars on the track, these are the overall series winners. That is what the DPI class is. Uh, they are built from the ground up, purpose-built race cars. All of these are purpose-built race cars, but the DPI class is at the higher level of engineering and of aerodynamics. They are true aero cars. They are, uh, Chase Elliott was talking about, that's what he'll be driving in. Jimmy Johnson's driving in these. We will go through some of the teams here in a yeah. little bit, but the DPI cars just know they are, they are aero cars. So it is a very yeah. big adjustment if you are used to driving a stock car or even if you're used to driving some of these other, like the GTD class or GTLM class, you get in one of these cars, you have to drive it more like an Indy car or a Formula One car because they don't break when you think you normally should break. You, you can go a lot faster through the turns than you think you should be able to because they do rely a ton on aero. They're the lightest cars. They are super quick. So uh, yeah, the DPIs, you will see them just blow past some of these other series and it'll be kind of shocking when you first see yeah. it if you're not used to watching this. But so if you see a car that looks like a spaceship and it is blowing <laughs> past everything else, that is the Daytona prototype. That is the yeah. fastest car at the Rolex 24. Yeah. And if you want to talk about like spaceships, so they are there's obviously differences between the manufacturers, but there are some it's more, I would say, on a template more homogenized than it has been in years past, because you look at um if you take a look at, I, I misspoke in the last episode when we were previewing this, or two episodes ago, uh, with with it was Nick Janssen with the Lola Crone Motorsports Racing. So another Nordic uh, driver, but not Jan Magnussen. Uh, he drove obviously for for Corvette Racing, so a little slip on my behalf. But if you look at the Lola cars, those were like one type of rocket ship. You look at the Coyote bodies, another type of rocket ship. You look at all the other different types they had, the Riley chassis. Each different chassis manufacturer had their own 
set of things. But the cool thing about these cars that that is still even stuck today, if someone gets front end damage, so those engines are in the rear, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to change out your front, basically like a front wing, only it's like your front like. Yeah, part, like part the whole the whole like headlight assembly and everything is yeah. all one it's just piece. Like you'll, on you'll the see front, a guy pick, you'll see two guys pick it up, unhook it, pick it up, and put a new one on there. If there's like a light yeah. bulb that's been out, the quickest way to fix it it costs thousands of dollars. But instead of fixing a light bulb or change it, it's like just change the whole assembly. Yeah, because um, um, so, the rule is in the rule is in, in the Rolex twenty four you have to have one working headlight um, <laughs> for safety purposes. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and and, and, and if that's you watch a good point. this. Yeah. They have they have you know NASCAR runs there at night and uh, arena cross or, or supercross runs there uh, for bike week so they have all these lights around the track but they only dial them up to thirty percent of their max capacity so you're gonna see a much darker speedway other than right on the front stretch they they do light those up more so the fans that are in the stands if there are fans in the stands this year um, they they can see the you know their surroundings and stuff but also to the uh, guys on track you can. You can well, clearly see pit road for safety. Yeah, reasons. yeah. So that pit, that's pit road the, is lit up a hundred percent. But, 100%, but yeah, the, around the, the track, well, the, around the, the track, it's only at twenty percent. Twenty percent, yeah. Twenty percent of the lighting that you would see, like when the Daytona five hundred goes late, or they run the you yeah. know Firecracker four hundred or whatever we're supposed to call it yeah. now, like that that lighting is at a hundred percent. They lower it down to twenty percent for this race because they yep. have headlights, and that is part of the features that, of this. Part, that's so, part of the deal. You have to have. You can't. Yeah, steal power from your headlight assembly to make your car well, run that and, much faster. Yeah, or, I mean, I know it's very small power, but everything little thing counts. You can't. <laughs> yeah, have your you car met race car, Have you met race car drivers? Every little everything <laughs> counts. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You see, so you have to have you have to have working uh, one at least headlights, one working yeah. headlight. So yeah. yeah, and so they know they allow for damage and things like that. But yeah. yeah, you're right. That is something that's key to a note here. There are still things that harken back to the original idea of this type of racing was: can you build a car? that will run at ridiculous speeds and last and the engine won't wear out. And you know, the brakes you want, obviously there's wear on brakes. They want it for safety, but you know, overall can the structure of this car handle what you're doing? Um, So even in the DPI, which are now like look nothing like a road car, they still have things that the elements of the series that go back to that to say, yes, we still want to prove this manufacturer can get the job done. So in the DPI series this year, there are three manufacturers, Cadillac, Mazda, and Acura. We will talk about the entries for them a little bit later, but yeah, just know those are the fastest cars on the track. We'll talk briefly about LMP2 and LMP3. If you're not aware of what LMP stands for, that is Le Mans prototype, Le Mans prototype. Uh, all, all a lot of road course racing and a lot of road racing in general, endurance racing, a lot of it harkens back to Le Mans. That, like I said, is the biggest thing that you have in the world of uh, endurance racing is the 24 hours at Le Mans. So LMP2, LMP3 are classes of cars that are, you know, in a, in a way, the best way to look at those is they are series that can compete at Le Mans in some form or fashion, in that type of racing. LMP2 is actually a class in the 24 hours at Le Mans. Uh, LMP3 is a class that is like a, I don't want to say a feeder series, but more or less like if you're trying to get into that form of racing, LMP3 Mm -hmm. is more where you would see like a startup team, maybe build a car. That would be more like the truck series in NASCAR, right? Where you start there and then as you build your ability to make these cars and to go faster and raise sponsorship dollars, then you go up to LMP2, You those are better cars, and then LMP1, obviously that program. Not everybody does that. Some people make a career of just, they want to run LMP2 their entire 
That's all their team wants to do. But you will see some teams that have run LMP2 for years. They might move up to LMP1. The LMP1 is the equivalent of the Daytona prototypes at Le Mans, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like the fastest cars at Le Mans are LMP1s. And Daytona prototype cars, for what it's worth, those cars do not meet the specs to run against LMP1s at Le Mans. So you can't, that is an interesting thing. You will, the fastest cars at Daytona, the DPIs, they cannot run at Le Mans, but the LMP2s, which are slower, they could take those cars and run them at Le Mans in a few months if they want yeah. to. So that's, a th I think, another thing that I find very interesting is that there are cars that you can literally watch when you go to Mid-Ohio or Watkins Glen or, you know, Road Atlanta or some of these other places around where they run these, where they run the IMSA series. And those same cars, the literally exact same car could be running in the most famous race in the world when it comes to road racing. Yeah. <laughs> the LMP. I'm, I'm holding up. Okay, uh, so you you can't see this, but Derek I just know. put up a picture of the Delta Wing on our yeah. chat here. So to explain to people what the Delta Wing car was. because Del Delta Wing was a car that had basically bicycle tires in the front. <laughs> it was very narrow in the front, and it flared out almost like a... The car itself was almost a wing. It, it was the weird. Just Google Delta Wing. There's no it, way to well, it describe looks, no, it. No, no. I'll tell you what it looked like. It looked like a three seater motorcycle or a three wheel motorcycle where you have like kind of two, yeah. like with, a wheel in the front, except working. there were two two front wheels and then America yeah. flying um, on it. Yeah. But, uh, no. So was that was an LMP? Gonna, was that an LMP two that they? No, that was a prototype. Oh, that so was a prototype. That car. Okay. That was a car I saw at Mid Ohio that I saw famously get pushed and punched off. It was the garage. What do they call it? Forty four. It was the basically the ex ex exemption car the like at, at Le Mans, Le Mans uh, yeah. they have a garage I, I forget which I forget the number but there's basically an entry to the race where the organizers choose a car or you can apply to get your car in there that has some sort of like capability that is a new uh, function a new feature it's basically like a technology entry so and it, it's got to be within certain specs you can't have like a rocket ship going there and blow the field out because everyone else doesn't have the right yeah, uh, yeah. specifications. But if you want to dial up, you know, if there's a certain ratio of your hybrid, uh, you know, car, if you want to go a little bit more hybrid or a little bit less or whatever, you know, but this Delta wing was one that they basically said, Hey, we know this is a unique entry. Enjoy the race. We're going to have you guys be a part of the race. And I just remember them getting punted left and right. Yeah. Uh, it seemed like all the it other cars. Like, it was an this? interesting idea. It what was is this car? A lot of people, a lot of racing enthusiasts, hated it yeah i, I it. counted count it, me in that class count me in yeah. that class i was not a fan but someday you know someday we should do maybe a little deep dive maybe when we're bored get on, don panos on, on or get someone that worked with them yeah you know? it'd be interesting to talk about those yeah. cars um but so so, uh, so as you said prototype let's just recap here yeah. there are yeah. three prototype cars that run in the rolex 24 the daytona prototypes like we said are the fastest LMP2, which are the fastest of the Le Mans prototypes that are there. They don't have LMP1s because that that is not what's in this race. The DPIs are the you know version of that they have here. Um, and and then LMP3 is the entry level, I guess you could say, for for what you have in the Le Mans prototypes. One more thing on LMP2, and then we'll move on to the GT cars. LMP2s, if you ever remember flipping over to a road course race and seeing those cars that had like an open cockpit where there was just a, like, I'm talking within the last six years or so, six, seven years, those cars are LMP2 cars. They used to have two seats. Well, in theory, there was a position for a second seat. Uh, but in the LMP2 car, they used to have open cockpit. So 
that's crazy. I mean, as fast as yeah. those cars go outside of IndyCar or, or Formula One, I mean, th- just go look at some of those things. I mean, it, it it's nuts that they were allowed to run like that. But they they did that up until I think 2015 or 2016. They changed the rule. So yeah. that is fairly recently they got rid of that. Now all of those have to be closed cockpit. But if you ever remember seeing those cars and going, why aren't those anymore? Well, LMP2s were those cars. They are now I mean, all closed cockpit there are no open definitely a, is definitely a open cockpit block you say um from <laughs> yeah from they, they did you, they do an open that cock dang block. safety getting in the yeah, way again open cockpit right. blocking us yeah, you know exactly right well, all i right. always loved seeing that we'll do the gt cars and then after we do that we will uh give you the results of the mill tool 100 and tell you about uh wh- who's running where uh so the gtlm class that is if you lmp2 is Le Mans prototype 2 GTLM, what do you think that stands for? Grand Touring Le Mans. So Grand Grand Theft Theft Auto Le Mans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the GT (laughs) Le Mans cars, those are the most technologically advanced of the Grand Touring Endurance class, the GTE class. Again, the same as those LMP2s. The GTLMs, you can see those cars running at Le Mans. You you if you remember when the N is silent. I gotta I gotta speak up. Le Mans. Oh, Whatever. What? Le Mans. Not Le Mans. I'm not French. Who cares? I'm huh? not saying Le Mans. I'm saying Le Mans. I'm not gonna like Le Mans. Lemons. I'm doing the best I can. Le- All right. 24 hour de Le Mans. Okay. So <laughs> in the GTLM class, great. I know. In the GTLM class, you will see, and this is where you can get kind of confused. Because those cars, the GTLMs, you will see uh Porsche. You will see BMW. You will see the Corvettes that run are mm-hmm. only in GTLM. Um, but like I said, Porsches in there. There are Porsches as well in the GTD class. They're not running against each other, even though they're both Porsches. They are very different cars when you actually look at how they're constructed and and the aerodynamics of those cars. One of so you will see two Porsches on the track. They will look very similar, but one Porsche will just kind of blow past the other one. Because mm. the GTLM cars are slightly more technologically advanced. They corner better, a little bit higher speeds. So even though you will see two Porsches, that's where you can get confused. And that is okay. Um, there are color coding on the cars, on the fins, uh, where the numbers are. They have the the numbers as well on the cars. There's a, there's a digital readout that actually tells you on the side of the car. So let's say the car number is 88, but it's running second you will see a digital LED board on the car that tells you it'll say 88 and then you'll see two. The two will be the LED. That's telling you in the class of that car, they're running second. So wherever they are on the track, whatever you see, and they do a great job on NBC of keeping all that to the left where you can, if you forget the color coding, and I don't personally remember what they are off the top of my head, um, but if you forget the color coding, they have it up there. So you'll see DPI and it might be like, I think it's, I don't know, red or orange or whatever. They'll have that. And then you can easily see, oh, there's a red number two on that car. That is the red class is GTLM, let's say. That red number two indicates it's number two in the red class, which is GTLM. So that is a kind of interesting way to, to keep yourself straight. You can also just look at you know any of the timing scoring stuff they have on the side of the screen and it'll help you. But yeah, the GTLM cars, like I said, run at Le Mans. So if you remember when Ganassi ran the, uh, the four GTs, those cars that they were awesome looking cars. They ran them at Le Mans. They won Le Mans with those cars or Le Mans. Uh, those, Le Mans. those are GTLM cars. They don't run those anymore, but Corvette will be likely at, at Le Mans this year. 
and they will run the same cars you can watch this weekend at the day at the uh, Rolex 24. Now, that's awesome. So that's the GTLM class. There are only about seven or eight of those cars in this field. The 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 by far the car with the high or the class with the highest car count, and I think the class that's the most fun to watch is the GTDs, the GT Daytona. This is where you'll see the majority of automakers. You will see almost every make and model of like sports car you can think of represented in some shape or fashion in this series. Um, the GTDs are probably the most accessible cars as far as understanding what they are. Uh, they are, you know, the closest, closest I would say to the to a road cars you can buy. Yeah. Yeah. You, these, these would be the ones you could probably most easily afford. Um, and unlike the LMPs, you know, the LMP three, LMP two and DPI GTD and GTLM are obviously very extremely based off of road cars. The LMP two and LMP threes don't even have manufacturers. Like the, the manufacturers they have are, are chassis builders who make race cars. You know, DPI has like Cadillac, but they just have like the same headlights as some Cadillacs or, you know, Acura has similar headlights. These cars, GTLM, GTD actually look like they're street cars, but the GTDs are the closest to a street car that you will see as far as looks. Uh, they are still though purpose-built race cars. We've been out, I've been out to Michael Shank Racing in Ohio, uh, just outside of Columbus and looked at you know, when they were putting together their Acura NSXs, they don't run those anymore. Now they are running in the DPI class. But when they were putting together those Acuras, they do look nothing like <laughs> a streetcar underneath the hood. The engines are purpose built by these factory teams and sent to these uh, to these drivers or to these teams. Uh, they are they are incredible machines, but they are the ones that are the easiest to identify as kind of looking like their road car counterparts. So. Uh, our friend Bozy Tatarevich, who we've talked to on this program, we talked to him about the NASCAR next gen cars, the GTDs. He works with Vassar Sullivan, which runs the Lexus. So the neon yellow Lexus that you will see, there's two of those cars in the field. He is pitting one of those cars. So when you watch this weekend, he will be helping take the tires out, I believe, to the far side of the car and tearing off the uh, windshield tear off. So if you're watching the race and you see him do that, just know that's our buddy Bozy, and we wish him and yeah. them well in that regard. We'll talk about where they start in a second. Well, but and something can we, before we get going into the results and stuff, I, I just want to make sure people know if you want to check out, uh, and I'll put this in the chat for our our little thing here. If you want to check out what's called the driver uh, categorizations on FIA's website. So each team, there's three to four drivers on a team because it's a 24-hour race. You can't put four top-tier drivers on the same team. That's kind of a little bit of cheating, right? You have to have some sort of a uh, a, a a lesser, I wouldn't say lesser quality, but they, lesser they have, experience let me, driver. Let me help. They have rules that say you can have, you know, two A-level drivers. That's not what the law is called. Gold. Platinum, we're talking, And we're right. talking more like GT Daytona. Or, or like like the GTD class yes, and things like that. There are yes, um, there so there are in in some of the classes they have rules about who how many drivers you have to have and how how qualified they can be. Like when you look at the DPI class, those are all pros, those are all top tier rated drivers and and they're they're kind of not in this world. But in the GTD class, I think GTLM, I'm not sure, they have rules that talk about you have to have like an expert level driver, a mid-level driver, and then more of like what would be called a gentleman driver in some of these series. 
um, where the gentleman driver is like a semi-pro driver. They are not an official, like right. professional hired race car driver. It well, is imp- yeah. it is important to know in some of these series, some of the people who are racing these cars are literally there because they're very rich or they own a company and they are sponsoring the car and they get to be the gentleman driver. Uh, if you want to find out more about that, I think there's actually a documentary called Gentleman Driver on Netflix perfect thing to watch this year or this week if you're trying to get into this a little bit more it talks about some of these super rich guys who they become very good drivers i don't want to take that away from them i mean you can't drive one of these cars fast and be bad at this but it does but like there are guys who have worked their way up through the series but a lot of what they do is based on the money they bring to the table it's not based on them being able to necessarily just be the fastest driver so when these Decisions are made about who's going to get out of the car, who's going to get into the car, because they do switch drivers during 24 hours of racing. They have rules about, okay, we're going to put one of our worst air quotes drivers. Again, we're talking race car drivers. One of our worst drivers will go in the car here because we think this is a time where we can afford to lose a little bit of time, but we want to get our better drivers rested up yeah. for this more important part of the race coming up a little bit later. So And and there's only so many hours that a top driver can have. Yes. So you have they to have use limits your team. Now, and I'll just tell you, a, for example, while you were talking, I looked up the Chip Ganassi entry shocker. That would be the one that I'd be most focused on. Um, but of Scott Dixon and uh, – sorry, one second here. I, I, of the, sorry, I'm getting tongue-tied. So the on the 01 car – Ranger Vanderzan. This Kevin hang on. Magnuson. This is in the DPI class. DPI class. To clarify yeah. for Ranger Vanderzan, Kevin Magnuson, Scott Dixon, Marcus Erickson. Of those four drivers, three are platinum, one is gold. Tell me who the gold driver is. Um, would that be Ranger Vanderzan? You are correct. Yeah. Now I want to I want to play a little game with you. Chase Elliott. What ranking is he on the FIA driver category categorization? He's not a platinum. Oh, he most certainly is a platinum. He is. He is because he absolutely. races in a top series. I guess, right? Is that well, why? I, yeah. Well, he's also a NASCAR champion. So let's. Take well, a I look don't think that. Ha- I think it has to do with what level of racing you've attained. Maybe it is. Maybe you're right. Maybe it has to do. Well, with let's being see. A so Kyle Busch. Uh, yeah. Kyle Busch. Well, okay. So welcome to the world of FIA. Well, let's just like, hang on. Let's rating. pause real quick. It, let's it pause real quick huge. here. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. I do want to qualify right here. We are not going to go into driver ratings because it takes no. too long. But if you would like to look that up, uh, yeah, there is a you can go to driver categorization with an S. Actually, we'll tweet the link out from our yeah. uh, when we tweet out the podcast, we will tweet this link out. So um, go check it out at Stagger Podcast. But it's from the FIA and it does qualify all the drivers that you're going to see. You can find out how good they are. So where's that Kyle yeah. Busch? Uh, well, that's the thing. Kyle Busch is a platinum driver as well. Okay. Kurt Busch is not. <laughs> I don't know. So, like, I, I, gotta I find don't out even know the... if the Bush brothers know that because that'd be kind of funny. Like, who's the better Bush brother? You know, it's yeah. like, well, I well mean, we can have obviously... some fun. We can have some fun with driver ratings looking those up. But oh, yeah. Man, it's so much fun. So, like, so to clarify, like... you do. So this is another quick little thing on that. And then we'll move on and we'll talk about who's actually in this race and all of that. But there are a lot of platinum drivers and a lot of gold (laughs) drivers and a lot of silver drivers. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing there. There will sometimes be debates or arguments or frustrations that will occur because let's say you're a gold driver and a team needs two gold drivers and a silver driver to compete in a race. Okay. Mm -hmm. well, if you're a gold driver, but that team already has two gold drivers and all these other teams have their gold drivers, it would benefit you to get rated lower 
to the silver driver category so you can become one of the best silver drivers and then it's easier for you to get a ride into a big race. So yeah. you will sometimes see guys who actually get mad that they've been rated gold or platinum or whatever because then that makes it harder for them to find a ride because they're a good driver, they're a great driver, but they have they're on lower pecking order in the platinum series, let's say, than they would be if they were a gold driver. They might be more yeah. in demand as a gold driver because you do need those in some series. So, yeah, it's it's a really fascinating uh, way they do that. It's obviously a lot of it is meant to keep the competitive balance there. They don't want to just have all ringers on one team or rangers. Yeah. <laughs> ringers yeah, and rangers. They don't want a whole bunch of rangers yeah. on the team. You know? No, but that's, uh, so that's, <laughs> but that's the idea. So, yeah, it makes. I was thinking well, like with, with all the guys that are on that team with Kevin Magnuson, Ranger Vanderzand, who is the defending champion of this race, by the way, like he he's the one that's lower on the totem pole than all these guys who have been running in other series for the most part, who are Formula One drivers and IndyCar drivers like Scott Dixon. But because they're running in those top tier levels, that's why or they have previously. Well, that's why they keep those rankings. And yeah. And let's look at this. So you look at the 44 car in the GTD class, right? That is one that's been a long standing. Magnus rate uh, I think it's Magnus racing uh forgive me about the title of the name it's uh, it's escaping me because I'm looking up a lot of stats right now but it's John Potter Andy Lally Spencer Pompelli and Mario Fonbarker so Fonbarker and Lally have been professional drivers as has Pompelli right yeah. uh Lally's even raced in NASCAR but uh yeah. so these are like you know creme de la creme right uh Lally and Fonbarker are gold drivers Pompelli is a silver driver hmm. And I believe the team principal is John Potter. He's a bronze driver. Yeah. So, so that's, that's, that's how you your look gentleman, at the makeup of this. That's your gentleman and, driver right there for the most yeah, part. And we'll, yeah. And take a look at this too. You look at Ryan Eversley, who has raced and he's a driving instructor. Dinner with Guess racers. His, yeah. yeah, dinner with racers host. Guess what his ranking is? Silver? No, he's a gold. He's a gold. So okay. he is exactly the person we're talking about who would probably, I mean, he's maybe earned that, he's earned that gold ranking for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's racing in the pilot challenge in races like that or racing in, gosh, I saw him at, uh, in the Robbie Gordon super truck st uh, stadium. Well, he series. ran. So like my, uh, so Ryan Eversley, when, uh, when, um, oh, why am I blanking on his name? God, Rusty's brother, who is a loud mouth talks all the time kenny kenny wallace, wallace. yes duh. i don't know why i was blanking on that kenny wallace ran rolex 24 a few years like many years ago ryan yeah. eversley was one of the drivers that was on that team so like ryan has run the rolex 24 right. before and probably will at some point run again but yeah it, i mean it, it does depend and if you get a higher ranking it is harder to get one of those top tier you know seats that if you get a slightly lower ranking and suddenly you can fill a void and be one of the best drivers in a silver class. So yeah, it, driver rankings are a whole nother wormhole. We could go down, we could spend two hours on it. We won't. What we will do here is take a break. And when we come back, we will set the field for you for the Rolex 24 and give you some final thoughts and even a little bit more history on the race. Thanks again for listening to the Stagger Podcast. Welcome back to the Stagger Podcast. All right, let's talk about the Motul 100, Motul, Motul, whatever, Motul 100, which is a new feature this year for the Rolex 24. Uh, previously, there were qualifying sessions and they took the best times and said, you're on the pole, you're second, you're third. But they've decided this year to do a race uh, for the Rolex 24 that qualifies you for the race. So at the end of the Motul, Motul 100, I can't say it, 
Uh, here are yeah. the results, and here's <laughs> here's the starting lineup for what we have for this year's Rolex 24. Overall winner was the number 31 Cadillac DPI uh, in the DPI class, of course. That was piloted by Felipe Nasser, Mike Conway, and then Pipo Durrani and Chase Elliott round out that class. So Chase Elliott and his you know prototype that he's going to be running, he is going to be on the pole. Now, I will preface this by saying qualifying, not as big of a deal in this race as it would be in other races. Um, any type of endurance racing, the the qualifying, while it does, it, qualification certainly matters. You know, you're going to be separated at the starting line by less than three or four seconds. And within two hours of the race, you could be minutes behind, you know, and then two more hours, you could be leading. I mean, it's just, this is a war of attrition. So it is not the fastest car off the block the whole day. It is, you know, being able to keep your car out front and on the track as long as possible. So, mm. uh, but yes, that is who's going to be sitting on the pole. Um, so that is the Cadillac DPI. It's red, that car. Um, so yeah, you'll, you won't be able to miss it. Number two in the DPI class, number 55 featuring Oliver Jarvis, Harry Ticknell and Jonathan Bomarito. That is a Mazda DPI. That is their sole entry this year. Mazda had previously two Mazdas entered. They have now pared that down to one. Uh, then you've got in third place, the number five car, uh, that is Tristan Vautier, Loic Duval, and Sebastian Bourdais, IndyCar driver there welcome in another back. Cadillac DPI. Yes. Welcome back. He's now full-time, uh, in IMSA, if I'm not mistaken. I th- yeah, I believe so. I think so. he is and done with his, uh, IndyCar ride. Another, another one of those guys that sadly we could have been talking in, in memoriam about, and thankfully we are not. He, it's yeah. a miracle he's alive. Yes, absolutely right. So glad After to see him on track. a few years ago. Yep, absolutely right. All right, so now there are, there are a lot of heavy hitters on these next few teams, so just bear with me with these guys. Uh, the next two are both the Acura cars, uh, the number 60 Acura. Now, I say both the Acuras. I should <laughs> re-clarify that. There are two Acuras, but they used to be the Penske Acuras. No longer. They have this year changed that, now you have one Acura, which is the Michael Schenk entry. It is pink. It has serious serious XM sponsorship on it. Uh, that is the number sixty car featuring Dane Cameron, Olivier Pla or Ali Pla, uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, and AJ Allmendinger. The Dinger driving again. The dinger. Yes. So uh, he has a long partnership with Michael Schenk Racing. So yeah, some heavy hitters on that team as well. Uh, that Acura DPI will be fast all day. You would assume. The other Acura DPI, like I said, these got split up from last year because Penske's no longer in it. That is the Wayne Taylor Racing entry. Black and blue, Konica Minolta has been their sponsor for a long time. The number 10 car with Ricky Taylor, Wayne Taylor's son, who's an excellent driver in his own right. He's back. Yep. Back with the Wayne Taylor back with Yeah, back with his dad. He was previously driving uh, for Penske, but yep. he followed the car, uh, as did like Juan Pablo Montoya and Dane Cameron. They were also driving those car they were driving for Penske now they're just I don't want to say they come with the car but they're very familiar with these cars and so they are you know continuing their run with the Acura DPI program uh Felipe Albuquerque who is obviously a pretty great driver in his own right Alexander Rossi like I said some heavy hitters on this one and Elio Castroneves just just a you know a couple guys who have won the Indy 500 so yeah they're <laughs> that that's going to be a stacked lineup for that that car as well now, the number 48 car, this is a one-off car. They are not running this car all year long. They are just running it for this race. And again, there's a lot of good names on this one. Uh, it's a Cadillac DPI piloted by Mike Rockefeller, Simon Pagino, Kamui Kobayashi, 
and uh, this dude named Jimmy Johnson. So, of course, the number 48 ally, easy to figure out which one is his car. That is rolling off sixth in the DPI class and in seventh and rounding out the back end. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this team, Derek, at all. Cadillac DPI featuring... Uh, I may have heard about them with Chip Ganassi racing. <laughs> uh, Ranger Van Der Zand, Scott Dixon, Marcus Erickson, and some dude named Kevin Magnuson. Are you... Never heard of him. <laughs> never been to his hometown in Denmark. Ne- yeah, never uh, never botched his dad's uh, car that he drove. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. No, I'm pretty excited. Okay. Last on this qualifying race, but second fastest lap of art. It's the second time I mentioned it. Why not? Yeah. Uh, if you saw the first lap, you saw him dive in for that that pass for the lead. I got no issues. They've already worked out their their uh, their stuff. They're just kind of saving their equipment. You know, that's what yeah, I'm thinking. yeah. Um, we'll we'll make bree- it interesting. We'll breeze through <laughs> some of these other series because obviously DPI has that's that's the class that's good. one of those cars will win the overall Rolex Twenty Four. But of course, you can win the Rolex Twenty Four in each of these classes as well. Uh, LMP twos. We'll just give you some highlights here. The the car on the pole. The uh, Orica, like I said, these are not going to be manufacturers you've typically heard of unless you're into road racing. These are not like sports car brands. They just make race cars. Orica is the chassis of choice in LMP2 mostly. Number 52 car featuring Ben Keating, uh, Mikkel Jensen, Scott Huffaker, and Nicholas Lapierre. That is the pole sitter for this race. And they won the Motul 100 yesterday, Derek, with a car that spun out on the first lap. And still yep. found their way back in a hundred minutes. Not like they had seven hours to do this. Ninety yeah. or basically an hour and a half, a little bit over. They found their way back to the leads. So pretty yeah, impressive ben, drive for them. Yeah, Ben Keating is a very, very good driver. Um, and and he's even a he's even a bronze. That's why I just don't get this uh, deal. But they've got a lot of talent on that on that squad, and I think they're going to be one of the top cars to to you know go through there and, and and be a podium potential challenger but there's also another orca that's uh finished second in that race number 20 that's piloted by uh dennis anderson ferdinand habsburg anders fjordback and robert kibitza yeah uh, former, former f1 driver, f1 driver so, who almost lost his life in a terrible wreck yeah. back in the early i want to say 2010 2011 somewhere around there he's racing in formula one as recently as 2018 robert kibitza now in the lmp2 so again Tons of talent in all of these series, so uh, we'll you know yeah. keep you, you posted got, on some of that. And yeah, there's there and there's Ben Hanley uh, and Ryan Dial is in this year in, in this class. Austin Dillon's in this class. Some names you may recognize. Eric, if Lutz. you're looking for the Austin Dillon entry, that is the number that is the eighth placed car starting off the number fifty one, featuring Cody Ware. I want to say Rick Ware Racing is putting this effort together, at least in somewhat partnership. But Cody Ware, his son, is involved there. Uh, but yeah, the Austin Dillon, that car will roll off eight in a, not an Orca, in a Legere LMP2. So that's the other. Yeah, they uh, got to be different, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> the LMP3s, now there are, like I said, the LMP2s, there are 10 entries in that series. There are seven entries in the LMP3s. Number one team on that one as of right now is the number six car. Moritz Kranz and Hur Larenz are going to be rolling hey, up there. Hey, don't so call him that. He... <laughs> I'm is rooting mom, for mom named I'm, I'm not Hure. sure if I'm pronouncing it wrong. If I am, Hure. I apologize. So that's your LMP3s. One one entry to keep in play and keep in mind there. You brought this up earlier in our pre-show chat. The fourth place card, number 33 in the LMP3 series, features Lance Wilsey, Wayne Boyd, Jan Clarier, and Jao Barbosa. Wow. Joao. Joao Joao Barbosa, who previously Back. was uh, within the last few years, for many years, he was running the DPI series. So again, an Action excellent Express, driver. Yeah. 
excellent yeah, driver, driver in that series. And I will always remember. So back in like the early 2010s is like my sweet spot with IMSA. And back then it was Grand Am. Right. And they had these, you know, so as you watch the 24 hours of Daytona, you're going to see the same commercials a lot. And they'd have these like promo spots that Grand Am would do. And it was like a whole thing about Joao's name. Like, you, and oh, it's yeah. like, you know, it's not wow. It's not Joao. It's, it's Joao. <laughs> like, <laughs> Joao. And it was like, that was the whole 30 second spot was him just saying his name and other people trying to say it. And he's like, no, no, no. Joao Barbosa. <laughs> <laughs> and him just smiling. Like, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Like sitting in the empty grandstands of Daytona. Like that was, that was their, their spot. So ever since then, I'm like, Hey, this guy, Joao. So, uh, the final uh, entry in the LMP three, the last place car in LMP three, the number 74 entry also has a couple of big names on it. Gar Robinson, Scott Andrews, and then Oliver Askew and Spencer Piggott. So there's a couple more. Yeah. They are guys. You. Yeah. (laughs) Those are a couple of IndyCar drivers. there, former IndyCar drivers, uh, Former and current, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, those guys are uh, yeah on that team, so keep an eye on them. Uh, then we go to the GTLM class, the GT Lemo class. Uh, there, there are only, only six Wait, entries, always. only six <laughs> entries this year. And uh, again, two of them are going to be Corvettes. Two of them are going to be BMWs. And then the other two are a Porsche and a Ferrari. But the two Corvettes, Nick Tandy, Alexander Sims, and Tommy Milner are in the lead. They they qualified in the pole. Right behind them is the other Corvette, Jordan Taylor, Nick Katzberg, and Antonio, Antonio Garcia. Or Antonio Garcia, I don't think that's right. Um, but those those are the two entries there. Those two will be duking it out. I'm quite sure they will be uh, battling it for the, over, for the win there in GTLM. Jordan Taylor is Wayne Taylor's son, brother to Ricky. So he has been running and with the Corvette program. Rodney Sandstorm, if you are a fan of his alter ego. <laughs> That's right, Rodney Sandstorm. Check him out on Instagram, and if you've not seen that, it's pretty hilarious. Um, so there Shorts is and uh, Dupont jackets is all I gotta say, and the, a mullet. He had, I think he got rid of it finally, but yeah, yeah. Porsche 911 RSR is in the GTLM class, but Porsche is no longer supporting GTLM cars, meaning that this is a customer car. Uh, if you want to briefly break down what that means, this is not a Porsche factory entry, right, Derek? Right. That, it, basically, they have the ability, uh, as anybody who wants to enter this race, you can buy a car, you can, just like you could go to through any catalog service or any online service to trick out your car and, and add specifications, you can modify it yourself with parts and pieces that you fabricate in your own shop. But basically, what the difference is between the Corvettes and the BMWs is that there's factory engineers that are supporting these rides coming up with innovation and technology that is supported by the manufacturer. So pretty much there, these teams are not alone in their development of the car, the Porsche 911 Porsche is not flying engineers over from Germany or zoom chatting in. They may, but they have to, they have to then pay as a customer to get that expertise and, and, and knowledge essentially yeah so, so the difference these, here these would are just be... dedicated racers and dedicated team owners that are like hey we've got a great car here they may have even purchased it off of the factory team last year so it's still probably up to date and they just want to make sure that they they, they want to run it they, they're big porsche fans and they want to see porsche in the in the uh rolex 24 and yeah. i'm i'm happy that they're there and they qualified third in the race let's, so let's think of it this way player. if you're a nascar fan think of it this way like if suddenly Toyota said we are no longer going to be in NASCAR and Joe Gibbs racing just like ceased to exist, right? There would still be teams in NASCAR that would run a Toyota. And because, because all got that, Toyota's around. Well, all so. the toy all the technology exists, the engines still exist, all the, you know, components that they worked on, aero, everything else. 
but they would just be purchasing that yeah. from Joe Gibbs or from one of these other teams or from Toyota directly. Yeah. And then they might say, hey, we'd like to hire a Toyota engineer to come out here and work on the car and help us set it up. But that is going to be on their dime. That is not like Toyota saying we've put our money into this and we are hiring, you know, these teams to do it. So, yeah, it's it's just like you see in NASCAR now with like Chevrolet. I mean, you see teams that run Chevys and they buy parts from the factory teams and they buy technology from the factory teams, but they are not supported in the same way the factory teams are like, you know, Hendrick is and even like RCR is, they just get more factory backing. That's what essentially happens here, except there is no Porsche factory team anymore in the GTLM class. So uh, there you go. There's yeah, a- yeah and, and that's it's sim- very so, similar to what happened with Dodge and NASCAR about six, eight years ago. Uh, yeah. There was a lot of teams that had Dodges and a lot of underfunded teams are like, hey, I can get a Penske Dodge and run that, or I can get the, yeah. the body. I guess it's like, Mike, yeah, this is gonna, the, so, are we so saying you this see, is the Mike Harmon of the uh, GTLM much, class? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but mm, don't, don't equate anything with uh, Porsche yeah. and Richard lights to, yeah, yeah. To, uh, I understand. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But yeah, yeah. It, it's basically like, you know, guys that said, Hey, we can run these engines until they expire. We can run these chassis until they need repaired and we can save some money and still be kind of competitive. Um, and now at this, I, like I said, I mean, the Porsche beat the Ferrari and the BMW, and we know the BMW is a factory back team. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. and this is just in a hundred minute qualifying. Yeah. Race. So this is, it, we'll see how they fare over. There. We'll see how they fare over. I would assume the BMWs of, and Corvettes of, will be tough yeah. to beat. But yeah, a lot of drivers were saying, and a lot of owners were saying, Hey, we're trying to just survive this and not have what happened to the Porsche entry that, uh, with Catherine leg, um, that in the GTD class. The yeah. Yeah, and the GTD trying not to go off track. Yeah, try not to go off track. Yeah, so so I think you'll see a lot of people that found their groove, did enough. Like they were the uh, Jimmy, the forty eight team for DPI was talking about wanting to get Jimmy Johnson seat time. Yeah, so that was an objective from the hundred minute race yesterday. Yeah, so and then I and think it, uh, yeah. as as opposed to the pole sitter car, the number thirty one, they specifically did not have Chase Elliott in that race, uh, even yeah. though he probably could use the seat time. They wanted to try to qualify in the polls. So there you go. That's the difference in approaches there with those two teams. Uh, rounding out the uh, the GTLM class very quickly, Ferrari 488, the number 62, and then two BMWs, the number 25 and 24. Those are both BMW M8 GTEs. Those are factory-backed. Uh, by the way, the Ferrari, if you want to be very confused, there are Ferrari 488s running in the GTLM and GTD. So trying to keep those straight, that is where you will definitely want to look at the fins to check the different colors to see what car you're looking at. If you see a Ferrari 488 and you're wondering, which one am I looking at? Well, that's where the color schemes come in as far as the different classes. Now, GTD, uh, this team, uh, the number 96, the BMW M6 GT3, that is Turner Motorsports. Bill Oberlin is a legend in this series. He has been running in this series for many, many years and is one of the best drivers that you'll see at Daytona every year. Uh, he is paired with Robbie Foley, Aiden Reed, and Colton Herta, another IndyCar driver there. So that's a pretty stacked lineup there. Porsche 911 GT3 comes in second. That is uh, Zachary Robichon, Lawrence Van Tour, Lars Kern, and Matt Campbell. You love saying these names, don't mm, you? <laughs> it's it's fantastic. So, but yeah, in this series, just to give you uh, like an idea, that's a Porsche 911 GT3 as opposed to in the GTLM class, it's Porsche 911 RSR. So, much different like the gt3 is similar to a car you can buy on the road obviously tricked out 
but an RSR is not something that is available to most people. That is only for customers who are buying race cars. So right. uh, there are Lamborghini Huracans in this series. There's an Lexus RC FGT3. That is the one, the number 14, featuring Aaron Tielitz, Oliver Gavin, Kyle Kirkwood, and Jack Hawksworth. That is the one that our guy Bozy Tatarevich is tire changing on and crewing. So we wish them nothing but the best. You've got oh, Mercedes yeah. AMGs in this series. You've got an Aston Martin Vantage, Vantage uh, that is in this series. Let's see what else. I'm trying to run through any. Oh, and there's a couple accurate NSXs still in this series as well. Uh, Aston Martin, like I said. So you got a you got a phenomenal lineup here. And there's even a couple Audi Audi R8s. Again, those are customer cars. Those are not factory supported because Audi, for what it's worth, and I think this is kind of cool to keep in mind. Audi has announced that they will be coming back with factory backing uh, in 2023. They will be heading into this and uh, being a part of things by the the new prototypes that are coming out in 2023. They will be kind of doing away with what's called DPI right now, and there will be a new chassis, new engine setup. It will be hybrid. It will be much faster, even than what you have now. So Audi's announced they're they're pulling all their focus onto that. Um, that is also why Porsche got out because they are focusing on that. So you will see some of these makes come back in a big way in 2023. So if you are someone who nerds out on this a bit, yeah, pretty cool stuff. Um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. And it's just, I'm happy that it's back. I'm happy that we're back, going back racing and I'm just, I'm super stoked, man. Let me give you one last thing and then we'll, we'll let you get out of here. Um, this is a little bit of history that I found on this race. And I just, I think it's so cool to keep this in mind. Uh, there are rules about the Rolex 24. So in the past, a car had to cross the finish line after the 24 hours to be classified and thus to be counted as someone who finished the race, okay? So, and that's still, I think, somewhat the case now. Um, like, if you don't finish the 24 hours, then your car just gets a DNF, right? But if you are right. in the pits for four hours fixing something, but you get back out there and you run the rest of the race, well, then you will count as being finished even though you are hundreds of laps down or dozens of laps down potentially you will right. still get out there and still count as a finisher of the race and you will finish ahead any car that did not finish but in the 1962 Daytona Continental which is what this race used to be called when it was just 3 hours long it was not a 24 hour race at that time uh Dan Gurney driving the Lotus 19 uh he had established a lengthy lead when his engine failed with like a few minutes remaining. I don't remember how many, but let's say it was under 10 minutes rating. But he had such a big lead. What he did was he parked the car on the banking of the tri-oval up against the wall and like just stopped because his engine was dead. He had no power left in the car, but he stopped <laughs> short of the finish line and waited for the 24 hour or the three hours to elapse. Waited till it got to three, three and .00.01. And then he just took his foot off the brake and rolled down the hill across the finish line and won the race without yeah. without actually running the car. But he had built such a big lead, uh, he actually ended up winning the race. That did lead to a rule, international rule, that requires a car to cross the finish line under its own power. So That's there will be none of that going on this year. I just thought that was a funny way that they ended that. Um, but it should also be known that uh, the first 24-hour event in 1966 was won by Ken Miles and Lloyd Ruby driving a Ford MP uh, Ford Mark II. So that was the that was the again the car that you see in Ford versus Ferrari. That is 
one of the that's that's the era we're talking about. So recommended viewing this weekend or this week leading into the race. Go watch the gentleman driver on Netflix. Go watch Ford versus Ferrari. Get yourself ready for some of the history. Understand some of the business behind it. And then enjoy 24 hours at the Rolex 24. You're not there this year. You've been there in the past. Leave people with a final thought. What is it like to you've shot this race with a with a camera? What is it like yeah. to look through the lens of this type of race? This is one of those races that I mean, I I do some stupid stuff. I mean, it's pretty it is pretty safe when you shoot, especially at Daytona and stuff. But at dirt tracks, I no longer will will risk my life to get the really cool shots. Um, and even some of the tracks that used to do that in like 2015, 2016, they've now made safety features to where you can't do that, um, where cars are like kind of head on at you and you just kind of peek behind a fence and outside of a fence and shoot. Um, but this is one of those races where I stood in the International Horseshoe and, and shot there uh, back in 2010, 2011, and the cars come right at you. If they fail, which which a Ferrari did, it failed and it came right into the barrier like about you know 20 feet from me. It was something crazy because you're just not, you know, you're looking down the lens and you see it. And if you're not tracking the car, you think it just passed you next thing you know, thud. And you're like, oh my gosh, and you kind of like shake and you look around and you're like, oh my gosh, there's a car like 20 feet from me on the tire barrier. So that's kind of crazy. Um, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's some of the best shots I've ever taken on even crappy cameras 10 years ago. We're just, I mean, the aesthetics of this place are just phenomenal. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell try you, to dig, I'll, I'll try I'll, to dig some of those up. I was going to say that the, the best them. thing I think you could do this week is keep the Instagram going with pictures from that and just, you know, just post anything. It doesn't matter. And, and yeah. for fun, go back and look at some of those pictures, which will be on our Instagram at stagger podcast. Yeah. And just look at some of like the, I don't know if you have any of the, like the Ganassi DPIs that oh, yeah. they used to run yeah. or the Mike Shanks DPIs. Yeah, where they I just... I have the, the those... Mazda RX-8, which still to this day remains to be my favorite car. If I do get a couple grand extra and I'm going to get a Mazda RX-8 because those are just the, with the Tri-Tech engine. Those are the... The rotary my, engines, that's yeah. My, that's the rotary, rotary engine, yeah. Those are my favorite, favorite cars of all time. They make it, a great it noise. probably is like a coming of age time of me for me in the, in a, in the mid-2000s and late or early 2010s. So that that was like a very special time for me as a person. Um, so that's probably why I want to get that car. But yeah, save your Vipers, save your your <laughs> your, your three series uh, BMWs. They I don't used to run. Vipers used to run back in the they day. Did. They used to run they, Vipers in this. Right? Oh, there's so many great cars, man. Go back. Yeah, we yeah. we we will definitely be throwing some of that up on Twitter too. Just some of our favorite cars we've seen from over the years. If you have one, by all means, tweet at us, and we will uh, we will retweet that as well at Stagger Podcast. Make sure you rate and review on iTunes if you get a chance on Apple Podcasts, whichever way you use the app. Go there, leave a rating for us, maybe leave a review too. We would greatly appreciate that. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoy the Rolex 24. Next week, we will be back with a recap of all the action and uh, well, lots of other things to discuss in the world of racing because the season has started and we are so thrilled for it. So thank you all again for listening. Until next so time. Until next time. Stay safe, stay awake, and stay staggered. <laughs>